In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life, amen. Good morning, wonderful to see you, kind of muggy. Thank you for wearing your masks. This week I learned a new word. I wonder if any of you know it. I'm sure uh, Bruce knows this word. Contrafactum. Contrafactum. It's, um, it's um, I thought it was, I thought it was a statement that, that contradicts the facts, you know? That would be the, but no, instead, a contrafactum is what you get when you put new words to an old tune. Some of us are acquainted with contrafactum from the works of the great American artist, Weird Al Yankovic. Weird Al is the master of the contrafactum. He's the one who took the hit rock song, Addicted to Love, and rewrote it as Addicted to Spuds. He's also the one who took the James Brown song, Living in America, and rewrote it as Living with a Hernia. <laughs> so you might be happy to learn that on this 4th of July weekend, we will be singing along to our own contrafactum. It's the hymn we'll sing at the end of this morning's service, My Country Tis of Thee. Not quite as funny as a weird Al Yankovic song, but it turns out that My Country Tis of Thee is a contrafactum. In this case, a patriotic song about America, ironically written to the tune of Britain's national anthem, God Save the Queen, or King at the time. I guess at the time it was pretty funny. It became an instant hit. It was written in 1831, 50 years after the Revolutionary War, 25 years before the Civil War, by a young American seminarian named Weird Samuel Francis Smith. <laughs> in 1831, it was intentionally ironic to write an American patriotic song to the tune of God save the queen, but today, we can't read his lyrics without being overwhelmed by his unintended ironies. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. No mention, of course, of the millions of African-American slaves who were at that time completely deprived of their liberty. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, which only leads us to wonder what exactly the pilgrims were proud of when they had to be rescued from starvation by the Nauset tribe, who were then repaid for their efforts with slaughter, starvation, and contagious disease. One could go on throughout the hymn, of course. The fact is that my country, tis of thee, extolled rights and liberties that were categorically denied to everyone who is not a white male property owner. This irony is not just obvious to us now, it's obvious to those who were paying attention at the time. Just 10 years after its publication in 1841, the contrafactum inspired its own contrafactum, a fiercely abolitionist version. My country, tis of thee, stronghold of slavery, of thee I sing. 
land where my fathers died, where men, man's rights deride from every mountainside. Thy deeds shall ring. And we got through the Civil War, and the great American scholar, W.E.B. Du Bois, began exposing the evils of a deeply racist Jim Crow South. And one day he wrote, he realized that his conscience no longer allowed him to sing My Country, Tis of Thee at Fourth of July celebrations. And yet he didn't want to seem, as he said, boorish and ungracious. After all, he said it was his country too. And I love its ideals, if not all of its realities. So he came up with his own contrafactum lyrics. My country, tis of thee, late land of slavery, of thee I sing, land where my father's pride slept, where my mother died. From every mountainside let freedom ring, let laments swell the breeze and ring from all the trees sweet freedom's song. Let laggard tongues awake. Let all who hear partake. Let southern silence quake. The sound prolong. Pretty good. The contrafactum tradition continues, actually, to this day, just this past week. Right after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the artist Raina Del Cid offered her own version my country, tis of thee, land of inequity, of thee I sing. Land where my mothers cried, fought, bled, and sacrificed for rights which we are now denied. Let freedom ring. Now for many of us, this has been a tough time. Speaking personally, I've never been so close to complete despair over my country as I have this past couple of weeks. But one of the consolations of looking into these various contrafactum has been to learn how every generation finds a new way to sing this old song. When millions of men and women were being held under unspeakable crimes of slavery, they did not just rage against injustice, they sang love songs of freedom. They sang and they taught their children to sing because ultimately that's where freedom is found, in the song, in the singing. When the suffragettes were thrown into squalid prisons, physically and sexually abused for simply demanding the right to vote, they never stopped singing. When Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested 29 times, he never stopped singing. Freedom is not an idea invented by Thomas Jefferson in 1776 and bestowed upon us by a bunch of old white men out of the kindness of their hearts. It's a condition of the soul. It's a song that's been sung since Moses came upon that burning bush. It's recognized in divine epiphany and sung about long before it ever became a law of any land. It's a song that's been sung in quarries and cotton fields, in concentration camps and in factories, in streets and in prisons. It's a song that will never end. Politicians will come and go, nations will rise and fall, but freedom will endure 
as long as we have breath. Yeah, this has been a challenging week, but you know what? They haven't yet found a way to stop us from singing. I will only truly begin to despair for my country when the song of freedom is silenced. And that is never going to happen. Because even a three-year-old child knows what freedom means. When the people of Israel were finally released from exile in Babylon and allowed to return home to Jerusalem, they found a temple in ruins, a people broken and confused. They were squabbling with one another, competing for power and for land, divided and in conflict with one another. And that's when the prophet realized it was time to sing Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious bosom. The prophet understood that Jerusalem was not just an idea. She was not just a building or a city-state or a set of laws. Jerusalem was a mother eager to feed her children. She was a transcendent source of nurture and strength and hope. And if she was our mother, that meant that we were all brothers and sisters to one another, all of us with a place at the table, all of us with an inheritance secured. So the prophet began to sing a new old song. He sang of a divine mother, the source of all our lives, a song that inspired a renewed faith in the beloved community, a song that gave birth to a hope that still prevails to this day because we have kept the song alive. We sing and we teach our children to sing. This is how we heal. This is how we find our strength. This is how we renew our love. Not just for this country, but for the great ideals that brought it into being 246 years ago. Maybe we'll never perfectly realize those ideals, but for every generation, that old song gets a new verse. With every setback, a new version is written. There's no stopping it. The love song of freedom continues. Amen.